This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Melbourne Law Studio. The only full legal law firm, full official partner of the University of Florida Gators. And, of course, protected by crime prevention, cpss.net, 24-7, 365. And check out the mugshots uh, to see what you can learn from that. Now, today I'm going to have a pretty thorough discussion, continuing discussion about uh, what's going on with the election. I call it the Trump postmortem. And I'm going to tell you why I call it the Trump postmortem. And also we're going to have a call in in a little bit from our chief uh, investigator, Mark Glazer, to give you an update on how uh, this whole business of uh, voter beep has been going on as we have uncovered it in the state and announced it on this show. And we're going to give you a thorough update on that. So there's a, a quite a bit of analysis that's been going on by people, um, the best of which is empirical analysis. They keep their emotions pretty much out of it. Those are the people I listen to. And I want to thank a member of the research team uh, early this morning for sending me a link to some comments by Victor Davis Hanson, whom I think is the best political analyst we've got in the country right now, maybe the world. And I listened to his remarks along with studied remarks in my research from other news outlets and people who observe politics. And and I thought we'd pass this along to you today as the fruits of my labor and the fruits of the research team labor uh, for, I thank you all for being such willing members of our show and keeping me educated because after all, uh, many, many people helping helps uh, provide you with a much more diversified, work excited, if you will, if you know how research work uh, is, is put together and uh, work consulted. So <clears throat> I take a look at everything that you share with me and uh, and use it accordingly and hopefully to uh, the best of uh, your uh, needs in terms of uh, what we're trying to accomplish here with uh, keeping you up to date more than anything else civically, I think. It's just really important that uh, we somehow address that need of, 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 of filling in the, the pieces here for uh, what we need to be doing as a culture and what we're not doing in a formal a grading system. I'm still looking for my chat line. This is one of the most frustrating things of all about going on the show here uh, is that I don't get the notifications anymore. I have no idea why. And um, therefore, I have to take time out from talking to you to try to get the show up live here so I can see the chat line, which I'm not able to do right now. Um, so anyway, if you're out there, I'm not aware of who's watching. I'm sorry. I apologize. And uh, I keep hoping this will be resolved, but evidently it's not not resolvable. Um, anyway, assuming that uh, you're from fellas checking on here that are listening and all that I usually can see, uh, not seeing now, the the uh, Trump postmortem has been a pretty interesting thing to to take a look at and try to determine uh, where we are. And I got to tell you that um, in many, many ways, a, a country barnyard is functions much like a barbershop. And by that, I mean, if you know, everyone sooner or later goes somewhere to the hairologist or the hairstylist. Uh, we recommend you go to our uh, people, of course, the official hairstylist of the show. And that's the style cuts uh, right down there uh, close to uh, Bill Penner's shoes and around the corner from uh, um, Miaba. So yeah, go there. Those guys are great. They'll take care of you. And much conversation goes on in these places. You sit in a chair and the fellow or woman who is taking care of your needs 
chats all day long with people who come and go. And much the same as the uh, case with the country barnyard, uh, where we go to get our hay now, for example, because we're getting into the fall, the grass has stopped growing, and uh, we've got to uh, somehow, some way, uh, get get uh, our animals fed. So we all uh, sort of assembly us, uh, uh, get together there and um, uh, chatter and talk. And tends to be a conservative area, although it's not always conservative, because I can tell you that frequently the horse set uh, breaks down and is governed by women, and they tend to be a little more liberal. And then the, the male set, of course, breaks down, and they uh, have the cattle, and they tend to be a little more conservative. But everyone who came through the barnyard yesterday is extremely frustrated and dismayed that there really wasn't a, uh, a red tsunami. And so uh, I've been doing some investigation about why that might be the case, and also uh, thanking those of you who have uh, sent me information that will help me learn about why it not, might not be the case. And I got to tell you that um, um, it is um, pretty interesting. When I'll pass along to you, some I've now got my picture up here, uh, pretty inter interesting when you take into account and pull together and synthesize all uh, the material that you've read. Let me just go through some things to share with you that really could and might and may and did perhaps play a, a greater or lesser importance. The biggest thing that I have been able to learn about why there's no red tsunami is that Biden was able to convince that people that if you voted for anybody associated with Trump, you were voting with, for somebody who was attacking democracy. Now, we know this is really ironic because the left has been attacking democracy, wants to do away with the constitutional guarantees of the Electoral College, wants to federalize abortion, um, uh, wants to open the borders, uh, all this business. We know that from the point of view of the Conservatives, the left is the one attacking democracy. But people are not complicated. People tend to be very simple. And it seems that Biden's crowd understands this. So Biden was able to go around about two weeks before uh, really people started voting. And of course, we have to deal with the fact that absentee voting is a real different game changer. Um, very difficult to control. The Democrats seem to do it far better than the Republicans. And so you have a situation where Biden is able to go around and say, if you vote for anybody on, on the right, uh, you're voting for an election denier and you're voting for somebody who's going to attack uh, democracy. And perhaps the biggest irony of this is that the Pelosi attack, the attack on Pelosi's husband, which the press successfully planted in the minds of the voters, it looks like, was an attack done by a MAGMA supporter, Make America Great Again, a MAGA supporter, when indeed it was not the case. If you went and looked at his um, home or wherever he resided, he was an illegal immigrant lefty. But because he came in there and the press focused on one word phrase, he said, Nancy, where's Nancy? Biden was able to tie that together with where's Nancy with the January 6th attackers and amplify that and, uh, uh, and turn out voters that the pollsters and the pundits did not anticipate turning out. So the Pelosi attack really figured into this in ways right now which haven't been accurately or could perhaps never be accurately measured. But it am the point is it amplified on the idea that if you vote for any Republican on the, on the, on the ballot in any, any way, shape or form, you're voting for somebody who is attacking democracy and tied it to the January 6th uh, deal, which they then used uh, the attack on Pelosi's husband to amplify. So they were able to create a narrative. And more I've been involved with doing what I'm doing, the more I have come to learn that it's all about 
storytelling. It's all about narratives. Who tells the most convincing story? And the most convincing stories are the ones that are crafted with sort of single points that are replayed and emphasized again and again. And this attack on democracy became the message, the last minute message of, if you will, uh, Biden, who went around and personally uh, amplified it. So b- democracy was threatened by anybody w- who was a Republican. Uh, now, also, they were able to use abortion as a way to attract a particular subset of voters, which were the single women in the urban areas. They hauled out that and accused once again of taking the abortion issue out of the Constitution where it didn't belong and putting it in the states where it does belong. They were able to use that to, to bring out that voter as and amplify it as an attack on democracy, when actually abortion now is more democratic than it's ever been. Hey, think about it. Abortion is more democratic now than it's ever been. Well, as you hear me go through the messaging of the left, you ask yourself, where was the counter message of the right? They never picked up on this. That mine, I never heard anybody on the right say, hey, abor-, and still hasn't. Abortion is more democratic now than it's ever been. It's in the States. That's the most democratic place for it to be. So that point was missed, and Biden's group was able to amplify that. Now, along these lines, everybody was talking about uh, Newt Gingrich, but Newt Gingrich had a contract with America. The problem with uh, this Republican Party right now, which is split, and we're going to get into that in a moment, and promises to be uh, very, very, perhaps self-destructive as it ensues from here, the Republican Party has yet, particularly in the congressional level, failed to write a narrative that is a contract with America. In other words, what are we going to do? What are we going to do that people could seize upon and hold in their mind as part of the story? If we take Congress in a convincing way and take the Senate, here's what we're going to do. Well, it was there to be written, but nobody wrote it. Nobody said we're going to hold the borders accountable. We're going to stop using uh, printing money to buy votes. We're going to protect the, the biggest loss, by the way, with the Senate thing is the appointment of judges. That's going to be terrible. So we would have protected uh, the Supreme Court. We would have protected the electoral. Con- we would have protected the Constitution and we would have shown how the left has violated. We didn't do it. You know, I don't know. You know, why do I have to do this stuff? But th- we didn't do it. Now, also, there was a mistiming mistiming of Trump's announcement. Trump is sitting back there thinking he's a big asset. And so therefore, he's going to time his announcement. He's going to hold that out there and say, hey, listen, when you vote for the people I endorse, you're going to get them and you're going to get me again. But it turns out that Trump is an agent of insurrection. The Democrat Party was able to convincingly, and we know they've been chipping away at this forever, that Trump is the chief instigator of the insurrection. And so therefore, anybody associated with him will continue to attack democracy, not support it. And they were very good. And Trump helped. He helped. He helped. How did he help? He attacked the most successful Republican in the nation. And that's, of course, DeSantis. And he did it at the wrong time. And he did it in the state which he resides in, Mar-a-Lago. It's amazing. So this is all part of a fragmented reply, disjointed, uh, disconnected failure to write a reply to the very oversimplified narrative that the left wrote, which is, hey, the Republicans are attacking democracy. That's this. That's their story. 
period. Case closed. We never rebutted it. In fact, we helped spread it. Uh, and Trump played into their hands. He was not a party unifier. And right now, he's still not a party unifier. You know, there are many roles for Trump. And, 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 and this is all through the barnyard discussions yesterday. People are going to turn away from him. There's about 30% of the Republican Party that will, will remain hardcore Trumpers. But by and large, I can tell you right now that they're distancing themselves because they know that he's more of a liability than he is an asset, and he can get them beat again in 2024. So uh, Trump was not, is not, and probably never will be a party unifier. So that is also complicating it. Uh, it never showed, as I said a moment ago, how Biden is buying off the electorate, open borders, and printing the money, and extending the COVID stuff. Uh, there's a whole lot of things that were not a part of the so-called contract with America that should have been written by the Republicans. Uh, also, Trump has been and is raising money separately from the Republican Party. And even though he's doing it, uh, DeSantis has raised far more money. So DeSantis is coming up in the eyes of people looking for the same thing that they wanted in Trump, a popular president. And he, by golly, he was that. He defeated Hillary Clinton. He shut her down. He successfully got in there and did some executive orders that the people wanted. He talked about making America great again. There were all these great things that he did, but the Republicans never wrote a narrative to rebut the narrative that the Democrats were spreading about him being an attacker of democracy. An equate, of course, a democracy with a deep state. So along comes DeSantis, who has all the courage and all the aptitude of a Trump, but it's much more diplomatic. So now observers of the Republican Party suggest that the best thing for DeSantis to do is never reply to Trump. Don't get in the mud with him. And at the same time, they don't think Trump can ever change. He's too narcissistic. You hear those words. He too is egotistical. He's too bitter. He still wants to go back and undo what was he sees as wrong. And by the way, remember how much, and we're going to report on this when uh, uh, Mark Glazer comes in at the bottom of the hour. Remember, the election was tremendously influenced and really changed. I want to use the other words. Um, by COVID, it allowed tech in the form of Zuckerberg to amplify the absentee ballots, which are completely difficult to account for the veracity of. And that is still the problem. We still have got an, an, a, 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 an election process that is extending or making more difficult the accountability of the votes. And Democrats exploded, exploited that. The Republicans were totally unprepared for it. And right now, locally, the Democrats have used early voting far more advantageous than have the Republicans and, and, and even have been complicit, if you will, supervisor elections, being a Democrat, having the only precinct open on the, on the last day to vote early in a downtown area in a county where people don't want to come downtown. So the Democrats are a formidable challenge. Don't ever forget it. They are extremely well organized. They know how to write these narratives. The Republicans don't have a good fiction writer. They don't have one who can write a story that tells their story that hits those notes that resonate with frustrated people. And all over the place, they're frustrated people. In the barnyards, in the barbershops, they're frustrated people. So they're not being spoken to in a way that they will seize upon it and understand it. Um, so Trump has a failed leadership and it's probably gonna get worse. And by that, we mean he's not gonna knuckle under to a challenge, and it's going to be a rising challenge, even if he doesn't want to be running for president, the press and the people with their frustration and their fears are going to come to him and say, you've got to do this, or we're down the tubes. Already you're hearing people say, 
we got to reverse this or it's a failure of the country forever. Um, so uh, th- those are some of the things that you pick up when you research what's going on from various sources. Um, here is, for example, analysis by um, F.H. Buckley. And Buckley rings a name with you, I'm sure. To beat Trump, embrace Trumpism. So uh, it starts out with the opening line, uh, Trump can't win another presidential election. I believe it. I don't think he can because there is so much ammunition the left has been using like drip, 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 day in, day out. And the Republican Party is not going to be able to win either is the premise here of this discussion if it embraces Trump. But it needs Trumpism. It needs what Trump was great at doing when he went there. And you can understand why he's so bitter. He, 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 you can really understand it because he did what the people wanted him to do. He overcame these tremendous odds in beating Hillary and beating back all the Republican challengers in the primaries and getting there. And COVID did him in. COVID surprised everybody and he didn't handle that well. And who could have? But it was used against him and it became uh, kind of a political football. Uh, And DeSantis picked up on that right away. He said, we're not going to close this state. We're not going to shut down our schools. We're not going to shut down our economy. And we're not going to go on a mandate for masks. And my golly, I mean, that became almost a litmus test for who was conservative and who was liberal. If you saw a person with a mask, that was a liberal Democrat. If you saw a person without a mask, that was a conservative Republican. It was almost became that. It still may really be that. So, um, the, the whole, I, whole planks on education and immigration and government regulation got lost. And uh, meanwhile, they, they remain the central concern of the voters. Uh, they still feel these things haven't been addressed and they are, are nervous that they will never be addressed. Uh, uh, his whole issue, Trump's issue of political corruption the Democrats managed to change that and reverse that. And now we've got Pence coming out. Pence actually coming out. and He should be quiet. He's not going to be the president. Pence is nobody's going to vote for Pence. I mean, he's got the personality of a of dried mud. And now he's over here on ABC with that kid talking about private stuff between him and the president. You know, that's not going to do anything, anybody any good. You know, why is he, why, you know, is Pence trying to feed his own uh, campaign? That's not going to work. So then, the, boy, the Democrats are listening. That's a Democrat liberal interviewer. Doesn't he know that? Um, this whole emphasis on, cap, uh, on nationalism that Trump uh, brought out right away, um, uh, that, that became uh, antithetical because of climate change. Climate change had to be geopolitical. Climate change, they ran climate change, the Democrats, up the flagpole, emphasized that, made that the big story. You can't just, and the truth of the matter is, we will lead the the world down, the rest of the world will keep right on polluting. We all understand that, but they get away, the Democrats, with that narrative, back to my, what I've begun to realize, is the Republicans have no counter-narrative. They have no counter narrative that resonates with the voters. Uh, And perhaps it's because they simply see the world in more complicated detail than the Democrats realize their voters see it. See, the the Democrats play to the simplification of the voter. The voter is very simple. The voter responds almost to visceral stimulation. Uh, It's all emotional. It's all, you know, the, 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 many of them at the last moment vote for the most superficial of reasons. Uh, I've got a friend who the whole thing is all about being nice. You know, it's the most naive position you could possibly take when it comes to polit- uh, uh, politics. Uh, if anything, you better be pretty savvy about being tough and mean if you're going to get in the political world. And, and yet the Republicans don't seem to learn it. 
the Democrats know it really well until Trump came along and he outmeaned the left. He outmeaned the left. But now he's turned on his own kind. And buddy, the barnyards and the barbershops don't like that when he turned on DeSantis. He should have just been quiet and, and, and let the thing run its course. But that's not what happened. So um, we, we, we are you know, waiting to see where we go from here. Uh, we know the character flaws of Trump, uh, narcissism, his lack of self-control. Uh, and, and when it's working well, it works well. But it's reached a point where he has played into the hands of the Democrats and they have successfully tied. I, you know, you hate to say it, but they've done it. They have successfully tied January 6th to Trump. And now if you read Pence and what his interview is in The Wall Street Journal, you will see that Pence has helped tie January 6th to Trump. Why? To exonerate himself, of course. So he, uh, he uh, is trying to escape the, uh, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the accusation that he could have staved it off by staving off the Electoral College vote. Um, so all this is baggage that Trump's going to take into 2024. It's going to be interesting to see how this uh, works itself through the system. Uh, the fear is that uh, uh, the Republican Party once again will go into a very important election, uh, disjointed, out of frame, and unable to put together a narrative that resonates with people. Yet here is DeSantis who flipped uh, a Dade County, flipped the Hispanic vote to Republican, has done some really uh, and, you, and you think back on it, he barely beat a horribly qualified, very marginalized, deeply flawed candidate in, uh, in, in, in the form of Gillum. He barely beat that character. And somebody said that, well, you know, reason DeSantis won so big, this Chris was so weak. Uh, the Democrats ain't got nobody else. And yet the fact that they've got nobody else but Biden, they don't have anybody else but Biden. When you think of it, they're not going to run Harris. Uh, you know, where are they going to go? And yet Biden beats Trump twice. Let's, let's just face what it is. Let's face what it is. Now, yes, Zuckerbucks and all that helped him. And yes, the media helped him. And all that helped him. But he did. We, we might as well put to rest this idea that we're ever going to open up any kind of uh, uh box of secrets, maybe 50, 60, 100 years from now there might be, but that ain't, that ain't happening. That ain't happening in, in, by 2024. What's going to happen is you're going to have, uh, hopefully, a solidified Republican Party, but it might not happen. It might not happen. And a lot depends upon the role, yet again, of Trump. So uh, who has a very loyal base, uh, he could still win the nomination. But boy, I'm telling you, the Democrats are licking their chops over that. Let Trump win the nomination. Boy, they can't wait because they've done such a good job already of smearing him. They've been working on it for eight years and they've got the narrative down. And, they, you know, it's, it's pretty clear why, how this would split out. Nevertheless, what remain hopeful, we, we really want to believe in the durability of the U.S. institutions. Uh, we, we really want to believe that the integrity of the FBI can be restored, that the integrity and protection of Electoral College and the process in the Constitution. Uh, but the Democrats did a horrible, I mean, Republicans did a horrible job of pointing out that a democracy, the, the abortion is more democratized than it's ever been. <clears throat> that's where it is. It's in its states. And that's where it belongs. And that's where it's not gone. It's just where it needs to be. Well, that is what I've been able to learn so far from my studies uh, about what's going on in uh, the post-mortem period here of Trump. Uh, we're going to take a break here now. We come back. Hopefully we'll have a good long chat with uh, Mark Glazer, who will bring us up to date on the things which we've done here with Mark and the Ward Scott Files, and that is more than anybody else in the country has done 
with investigating voter babe. We'll be right back in a moment on the Ward Scott Files. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner. On the right side of the page, or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Back to Ward Scott Files. Thank you for uh, indulging me with that analysis of what uh, the Trump postmortem, and we'll see how all that works out and whether I. Uh, that helps you at all understand where we are as a country right now in this process. Before we start talking about our, our, our local endeavors here in voting, uh, let me just remind you that um, we had a really foggy day here at the Warthog Command Center. It's um, really zero visibility. We came in this morning and uh, it's beginning to slowly clear up. But the real problem here locally around our parts is the St. John's River and the fallout from the hurricanes that have come through. And we have now got uh, uh, a situation where uh, we just as we thought it might return to to uh, normal. The St. John uh, River water level gauge is about two feet at the river gauge in Astor, Florida. Uh, it is um, uh, the, the area of water rose about one point two feet after Nicole uh, it may not sound like a lot, but it's such a flat landscape. Uh, where the St. John's comes through in the north central part of Florida, that the rise is enough for the area to jump from moderate flooding back into major flooding, according to AccuWeather. And uh, it's almost, uh, St. John's River is almost a linear lake that moves slowly, meaning it will take weeks before flooding along the river subsides. And uh, this is historic flooding this fall because of these two hurricanes uh, back to back. So, it's uh, one of the few rivers, as you know, in North America that flows from south to north. And so it makes it unique in how it drains into the North Atlantic, uh, into the Atlantic. And uh, so they're going to need federal disaster money probably along the river in some places. And it's tough at some places to get to homes. Uh, it's, um, you know, wildlife is affected by this. It's murky water. There are snakes and alligators and a lot of things like that that come into residential areas. So. This flooding is uh, significant uh, and causing great devastation in a way that you didn't see 
on the uh, West Coast, uh, down around Tampa on that area. Here, it's a much more kind of insidious, slowly rising um, amount of water, and it's increased from the successive rainfall we've had from these two hurricanes. So there's also some things, the red tide and blue-green algae. Uh, this causes fish to die and soils, coastlines. So uh, this is something we'll keep an eye on for you here on the Ward Scott Files during our weather report. 65 degrees here right now at the Warthog Command Center. Well, we've got Mark Glazer on the phone line with us. Um, he, as you know, uh, began a long time ago. I've forgotten now since I've slept uh, to look into just a curiosity that he has about what's going on in the world of data. And he stumbled across originally uh, kind of an interesting phenomenon where it seemed to be uh, people were voting from the jail. And uh, what? Voting from the jail? All the same address and people in the jail don't have their rights restored. So what's going on here? And that that uh, itch was scratched. And then from that really became a quite a significant uh, uh, a series of events that have put us now in a, a most fascinating uh, place, which we thought we'd share with you. Mark, how how you doing? Never better, Ward. Uh, always great to be on your show. Uh, thank you for the introduction. And yes, you're right. We've had a, a major breakthrough what I consider a landmark case that has uh, come to some resolution up in uh, Duval County that we were able to unearth um, about a year ago. And so these things do take time, but we want to share with the listeners some of the details and some of the timelines and, and what we're currently working on in terms of voter fraud, uh, not only in 2020, but beep, also now in the beep. 2022 midterm. Voter beep. Oh, voter beep. My bad. My bad. Um, I, I think we're in safe ground now, Ward, actually, because um, – you know, for whatever reason, uh, uh, the lights are coming on uh, in a lot of the social media sites. So um, I'm 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 getting a lot more leeway in terms of my uh, <laughs> my Twitter account, for example, since uh, Mr. Musk uh, took over. Um, so things are things are uh, changing in the right direction. I find it very interesting that there's so much gloom and doom about the midterms when actually the, um, the Republicans just regained control of the House. And also locally, we just had a single member districts pass here, thanks in no small part to our representatives um, at the time, Senator Keith Perry and Representative Chuck Clemens. So thank you to both of them for getting that on the ballot and allowing the voters to actually decide that. So that's that's a big day, um, not only in Alachua County, um, but also um, you know in the state of Florida. The other thing that's um, going under the radar a bit is the fact that with the narrow margin that the Republicans are going to take the House by, probably 220 uh, seats, and it requires 218 to have the majority, that uh, our governor was able to actually uh, flip four seats in our state. So we went from a 16-12 ratio of Republicans to Democrats to, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, now to, uh, it's, it's um, I think it's 20 to 12 now, so he flipped four seats. And so that's that's the difference um, in control of the United States House of Representatives is what took place here in Florida in the midterm. So there's some very successful stories to be told in terms of the, the landscape, both statewide and nationally, in terms of the uh, the recent midterm elections. Of course, uh, Arizona and California are still counting votes out there, but everything looks golden for the um, Republicans to uh, regain control of the U.S. House of Representatives. That's a very good point you make about Florida being the one that actually made it happen and the importance of DeSantis to that. Probably it will not be picked up right away if it hasn't uh, by the big press, the national press, so to speak. But that's, uh, uh, you know, the other thing is uh, I've been researching is that, of course, we know that we're getting a, an actual red tsunami here in the state of Florida. As these blue governed states become more and more heavily taxed and, and less uh, uh free, if you will. People are pouring out of them. They're going to Texas. They're going to coming to Florida, pulling out of California, uh, pulling out of New York. And um, it looks as if really um, they'll become even stronger where they go because they, they are leaving heavy taxation, uh, heavy regulations. And uh, DeSantis is uh, um, saying is, come on down here. We're free. Um, that, that resonates pretty well. So what are some of the things that have been going on with what you started and what now has really become, first of all, was picked up by the governor and became an actual, let's trace the listeners through that development stage. 
So the first thing we discovered was ineligible inmates uh, voting from the Alaska County Jail. Uh, we discovered that in February of 2021. So just a few months after the uh, 2020 election, which was in uh, November the 3rd of 2020. And of course, Ward, you were right there on the front line with me. Um, we took that to our, um, our representative and we, we went to the state attorney and it took a little bit of wrangling, but at the end of the day, it was kicked from them to the sheriff and then to FDLE, uh, who did an uh, eight-month investigation um, into how this could happen. And as it turns out, through the emails that we were able to get uh, through a public records request, which was rather costly, um, we were able to see the emails between uh, the supervisor, Kim Barden, and her outreach director, T.J. Pache, and realized that T.J. had actually physically gone inside the jail never done before, never done since, and was actually uh, assisting inmates in registering to vote, many of them ineligible. Some are eligible, some are not. And so we were able to unearth that case, uh, get it to uh, a prosecution level. Um, Ten inmates had sworn complaints filed against them by FDLE. The uh, state attorney locally uh, had no choice but to prosecute those cases. Five of those have come to conclusion, and they have pled, and they have been uh, sentenced. And all five of them are, are back in state prison. Um, and then the other five are going to uh, jury trials as we speak. And we look forward to them calling uh, witnesses on the stand that include both the supervisor of elections, Kim Barton, and her outreach director, who, by the way, resigned as soon as the story hit Breitbart and also uh, pled the Fifth Amendment when FDLE knocked on his front door. So that's that's very um, exciting uh, cases that are going to come um, forward uh, probably early next year in January as discovery gets concluded. And so we're looking forward to continuing to cover that story. Uh, but in addition to that, we have another set of circumstances where we have uh, voters throughout the state of Florida who voted who were ineligible and who were not covered by Amendment 4, which allowed felons to vote if they had paid all their fines, fees, and or restitution, and if they were not convicted of a felony sexual offense and or um, homicide. And what we discovered there was in excess of 500 uh, ineligible felons voted who were guilty of uh, sec felony sexual offenses in the state of Florida, certainly enough to swing the uh, Bush-Gore race in 2000, which was decided by about eight votes per county. And on those cases, we filed over 135 individual complaints in 11 different counties with 11 different supervisors of elections. And what happened in Alachua County was it got kicked over to the state attorney who uh, nine of those cases, they were kicked back. And then they were given back to the state attorney who now has allegedly been asked by the state to hold off on prosecuting those while they examine those um, with their Office of Election Crimes and Security. So those cases are kind of on hold. We really don't have a whole lot of information on who's really going to pick up on the prosecution on those. The uh, statewide prosecution is... Um, in uh, appeals court now based on jurisdictional questions about whether the statewide prosecutor can prosecute a case of voter fraud in an individual county and whether or not it crossed lines based on those results being sent to Tallahassee. So those cases are um, basically on hold around the state. But meanwhile, our cases are moving forward and, and we have had four cases in Seminole County that are being prosecuted. One of the uh, defendants is now deceased. But we had a case in Duval County, one of our very first cases, and um, that case actually yesterday came to resolution. The defendant has uh, pled guilty to two counts um, of voter fraud, one for registering falsely, one for voting falsely, and will uh, accept a 10-month plea deal if it's accepted by the judge. That case will be sentenced on January the 4th. So that's one case in Duval County that we unearthed. What we've done since then is we've given them 21 more cases that have the same characteristics. So we look forward to those cases being prosecuted as well. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot of questions to be answered. But yesterday's um, plea was certainly a breakthrough for us. That's a landmark case. It's the first of its kind. It does not have any jurisdictional issues. It is not covered by Amendment 4. And it has come to um, a plea deal. So we're very excited about that, and we look forward to hundreds of more cases following suit in, in, a, in an identical track. So I think the solution is to have the uh, individual state attorneys prosecute these cases, and then if they, if they decide not to, 
had the governor uh, actually threaten them with being removed from office because this is this is a huge deal to me and a lot of people. And it's it's not something where they can have selective prosecution. So the governor has proven he is not immune to removing a state attorney like he did in Hillsborough County. And he can do the same thing around the state if these prosecutors decide not to prosecute foreign complaints coming from FDLE and the Office of Election Crimes and Security. Excellent summation from Mark Glazer, who, as you're just tuning in, has been working on this for some time. I guess, Mark, by harking back, this all began around what, in the early part of 2019? Well, actually, um, we started examining, <laughs> we, we've been involved in uh, public corruption and, and fraud for a long time, as you know, but um, I mean, we, we worked on the Kareem Brown case. We worked on the, um, the Barbecue Browns up in Jacksonville. Um, we worked on a lot of, of local stories, as you know, the Butler Bandit. Um, it, it's a laundry list of cases that we worked on. But as far as the 2020 election fraud, I really didn't start drilling down until February, uh, February of 2021. Um, and um, my dad passed away in January, so I kind of had a, a full plate through those months. But um, once we started examining the records here locally, we discovered the, uh, the inmate voting. And then... In November of 2021, the supervisor of elections in Lake County uh, threw down the gauntlet um, with the Republicans down there and told them to put up or shut up. And that's when I started digging deeper into the uh, sex offenders who voted throughout the state of Florida in the 2020 election. It was a very simple uh, query to find those. And then from there, you just have to work individually with the supervisors of elections in the individual counties, some of whom have been very um, hard to deal with. Um, and many of them Republicans. So don't don't think that this is a, a partisan issue. Um, these supervisors are protecting their own heinies. None of them want to be the one that has to admit that this happened, that they were asleep at the wheel on their watch. And this happened in every single county in the state. Uh, none of them decided to take a proactive role in searching for this. None of them were helpful to me. All of them pushed back and begrudgingly um, removed and purged these voters from the rolls and then referred these names to the Department of State and or their local state attorneys. So this is ongoing. It's big. We had a major breakthrough yesterday. And you can look for this to uh, mushroom throughout the state, uh, depending upon what the uh, governor's office decides to do in terms of statewide prosecution. So we're, we're hopeful. We're excited. We think we're moving in the right direction. We, the facts speak for themselves. They're, they're no-brainers. Like I said earlier, not covered by Amendment 4. And also, um, if, if there's jurisdictional issue, they should just hand them over to the local state attorneys. And suffice it to say, the governor is aware of what's been going on here. Uh, we've never communicated directly with the governor, but we've communicated with our representatives here locally who do communicate with the governor. And uh, we've seen grow out of this an election crimes committee, uh, if you will, um, that is now taking on uh, basically what we've been doing without any budget. Uh, you alluded to a moment ago, expense of getting a public record. Uh, we want to thank the donor to this show who helped us with that. And I want to take a moment out to say that uh, when you donate to the show, it's put to good use. And um, this enabled us because of this private donation to be able to uh, go after these records. Uh, and as Mark has said, uh, these supervisors are not eager to uh, be revealed for their I don't know how to describe it, taking, I guess, taking things for granted or just assuming everything's okay with the status quo when obviously it isn't. The alarming thing to me, Mark, is the number of actual murderers we've discovered who vote. And they're never supposed to be able. Let's talk about that a moment. I don't remember how many, but we keep stumbling across that, right? Well, in all um, fairness, um, the governor's office is the one that's actually rooted those out, and so they've got a hand, they've got handfuls in multiple counties. We focused more on the uh, felony sex offenders who um, did not have their rights restored. Either way, they're not covered by Amendment Four. Uh, it's a very simple search for the state to go through and find anyone who's been uh, convicted of murder in the state of Florida, and then go through and find anyone who voted in uh, you know any election. It's it's not very hard to do at all for them. And then they could bang that off of anyone who's had their, their uh, rights restored through the clemency process, which is uh, probably less than um, the fingers on your left hand. So um, it's not a, it's not hard. Um, I'm not sure why they've um, 
chosen the ones they did, um, they're going to have to charge everyone. Otherwise, they're going to be accused of selective prosecution. So this is the very, very tip of the iceberg. Um, there, there were in excess of 500 sex offenders that voted in the 2020 election. There were in excess of 10,000 felons who owe fines, fees, and or restitution that voted in the 2020 election. Now, a lot of them have been purged. Many of them elected not to vote in the most recent election because word got out because of uh, DeSantis's big press release on August the 18th. The subsequent arrest of allegedly 20 people, we found 17 of the 20. And so um, certainly the word got out on the street that if you uh, um, aren't sure if you're um, eligible to vote or not, you need to be very cautious. You do stand the chance of committing perjury on a voter application, which is a third-degree felony, and also a third-degree felony to vote falsely um, in an election. Now, keep in mind, this is also a federal election, so there are Florida statutes that, that apply to this as well. But the federal government's willing to stand on the sidelines as long as they feel like the state, well, one of two things, either the state is, has, has it under control or if they just choose to look the other way, which, you know, that's, that's happening a lot too around the country. So, um, obviously the DOJ, um, is, is slanted in their prosecution and, you know, it depends on, uh, who holds the keys to the White House, uh, it appears to me. So, um, I mean, that's, it's just obvious what's going on. So do not depend upon the federal government to come in and prosecute any of these cases. I, I can tell you that firsthand. <laughs> yes, so, you can. Anybody who's been involved with uh, uh, analyzing the data, which is the niche that uh, Mark, uh, among all his other talents, uh, enjoys uh, doing, I know. Uh, and we enjoy getting the fruits of that investigation into the data. And then we, of course, our role is to share it with you and also to support it where we can in other ways. And so uh, one of the things that we felt in looking back on this that really got the ball rolling a little bit is when we broke out into uh, the national world. Let's talk about who picked us up. First of all, we I shared it with Breitbart and uh, this story of our investigation. I say our because Mark does the heavy lifting and I do help uh, tote, the, tote the water to the to the to the to the river so to speak and and then we hope that it gets on out and i think the first one we really kind of realized we were getting somewhere mark was it not when we got into breitbart and breitbart wrote quite extensively about it and then after that can you remember what all we went through then that got well let's let's talk about bright breitbart for a second what the breitbart article did was uh, it got T.J. Pache to resign as the outreach director for the supervisor of elections because at that point it became a national story with, you know, tens of thousands of um, views and uh, thousands of comments. So it became a national story almost instantly. That also, in my mind, motivated FDLE to do their job. And even though they took eight months to do it, they were very thorough. And, you know, five of the ten cases that they filed sworn complaints on have, have been, um, uh, you know, convicted and, and sentenced, and the other five are um, probably going to follow suit. Um, so I, I tip my hat to their investigation, even though it, it took a very long time. But I feel like Breitbart, uh, the story in Breitbart, that is, actually motivated people to do their jobs or, or resign, in fact. So um, I find it extremely intriguing that T.J. That Pache um, took the Fifth Amendment when, when the knock came on his door. So I would expect him to do the same thing on the witness stand uh, if and when that day comes on these local cases. But um, we, you know, obviously we have contacts uh, throughout the state with a lot of different media outlets. We've, you know, built upon our credibility over the years. So we're able to get this out. That's why this story yesterday in Jacksonville is going to be a big story later today because we have pushed it out to the ones at Politico, at City and State. Um, you know, th those types of folks that have daily newsletters have, have a national presence. So this is a big story. This is also going to put pressure on the governor to um, make a decision on whether he wants to keep pushing with the statewide prosecution or um, take this other tack that appears to be quite successful. And so if you're keeping score, um, you could say that the governor has um, charged 17 uh, individuals with voter fraud. Uh, from 2020 based on their uh, criminal conviction of murder or a felony sex offense. In fact, we have 16 prosecutions, um, five of those. Now, six have been resolved. Uh, nine more are in the system. And like I said earlier, one of the defendants is deceased. So 
we are certainly on a zero dollars and zero cents budget, uh, having tremendous success when you compare it to a multi-million dollar state agency who, in fairness to them, just um, took root on July 1st. That being said, they've asked for um, to double their budget for next year. So obviously they know they're onto something. They, they have definitely found the mother load. They know we've got a problem and they're going to need more than, you ready for this? They're going to need more than 10 FDLE, full-time FDLE agents. They want to double that. They need more than 15 Department of State employees to filter through these records. They need 10 more vehicles. So if that's any indication of what's to come around the corner, you can see that this, this investigation and its results are just getting started. But back to the media, yeah, it's critical that we're able to have contacts, um, not only, you know, locally with Gannett because they own so many newspapers throughout the state, but also whether it's TV20, whether it's Jennifer Cabrera at Electro Chronicle. I mean, the list is, is long and, and it's important to keep on the good foot with these folks and it's important to give them good information so that when you send them something, they recognize the value and are able to um, almost instantly put it out there for, for the rest of us to read. The other thing which we uh, have been watching carefully, and Mark and I have been talking about this, and by the way, Mark and I have been working together now since 2012, uh, looking at things that um, seems nobody else was looking at and um, having a, a, an avenue to share it with you all. And um, it's been very enjoyable and um, educational for me to talk with him. I hope vice versa, me to him. We kind of uh, uh, complement each other in many ways. And and we do it to help bring you uh, kind of a civics lesson that you can't get anywhere else. Mark, one of the things I think we've talked about, correct me if I'm wrong, is the model that you just alluded to that seems to be under construction here by DeSantis is being watched by other states. Is it not? Isn't there another state or two that is beginning to do what we're doing here, or, uh, if you will? Well, it depends on who's you know in charge. Obviously, Arizona just flipped rather blue. Um, the, the attorney general is still uh, up in the air. If the Republican attorney general in uh, Arizona wins, um, they will be uh, passing legislation, I believe, that will mimic Florida at the baseline. They want to really take it to another level because they, it took them a week to count their ballots. And so they're, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're through playing around. They want, they want, they want, they don't want to be the laughing stock, not only of the country, but of the world. Okay. So yes, uh, Arizona is a good example. Um, there, there are other states certainly that are looking to Florida as an example. It's poorly, as election integrity is in our state, it could still be the gold standard. It could still be the best. So, you know, you've got to uh, understand what you've got here. It's not perfect and certainly be improved upon. But the legislation from last year with the ballot harvesting was the single biggest change in uh, election integrity in the history of our state. And I think you saw the results of that uh, on Tuesday night last week. It's huge. Well, we thank all the effort that you go through all the time to do the right thing. It's not done for anything other than the fact that we're sort of both committed to uh, doing the best we can to bring you the most accurate information. And Mark alluded to something a moment ago that when we send things to people, they trust us as sending them something they can uh, um, be sure has been uh, checked out for uh, all the different uh, reasons that would, would uh, make it uh, worth looking at. And we continue to do that. And we thank all the, the sponsors of the show, of course, patronize these sponsors. They're, they're bold people. They take on the woke people who try to criticize them. Uh, there's a lot of people who uh, are just still intimidated by the woke, if you will. And DeSantis has just taken that on directly. And of course, we have uh, some contributors to our show who really help us with some of these needs when we run into a big public records request expense, which um, they think, oh, well, they'll never come up with that. And yet we come up with that. We've got a couple other projects we're working on uh, that uh, we, we can't go into right now. But uh, you've heard part of them already. Uh, some of the local business here that we've been doing uh, with uh, the real estate issues that you've heard. Uh, about trade secrets and all that. We've been very active in investigating that and sharing it with you. And we'll keep doing all this and with the, the help of Mark. So uh, thanks for checking in, Mark. Unfortunately, we're out of time, my man. And 
uh, we'll be back together again. Um, I will have to uh, take a, a, a dozen glazed donuts by Mark to uh, pay him for this because uh, if I do that, and within about 20 minutes, half of them are gone. Am I right, Mark? <laughs> well, a man, a man needs a sugar work. <laughs> so this is going to require probably a dozen a good a dozen glaze i'll i'll, I'll look forward to that for yeah, coming that'll on that'll work that'll work thank you so much thank sir. you Ward. thank thank you thank you thank to the you. listeners thank you so much Ward, for having me on okay thank you mark and uh we're going to thank production for uh helping us out here and uh making a smooth phone call and we've got a scoot now it's 10 i think we'll have uh ted yellow with us tomorrow so have a great day warthog command center out